turn with me over to Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to continue in a series that we began last week called The Forerunner Mandate. Talking about becoming a people who will prepare the way of the Lord for His return. And I've said last week, and I've done this multiple times, but I have uh, many times in traveling asked uh, crowds that I'm speaking to, how many believe that Jesus is coming back in your lifetime, your generation? And uh, probably 70 or 80% of the hands will go up. Majority of people hear the sound of the, the, the voice saying, the bridegroom is coming. And uh, simultaneously to that, um, very few, if, if, I mean, I just know very, very few communities that actually are preparing themselves, and I don't mean in the way of like storing up food or hoarding, but I'm talking about in a spiritual way, to get a uh, biblical foundation of what the Scripture says regarding the generation in which the Lord will return, and how we are to prepare ourselves for that day and that hour. Most people believe that the Lord's going to return. But very few take uh, much time to prepare for it. And uh, I'm, I am right there in that number. I have been uh, for years. I was a, a guy that had just said, you know, I believe the Lord's coming out. And then they would say, well, what, what do you believe? Pre, trib, post, what, what do you believe? And I would say, well, I'm pan. I just believe it's all going to pan out. And I remember the Lord speaking to me, and uh, I stood in front of a, a group and said that, and, and I remember the Lord speaking to my heart, and He said, I don't ever want you to say that ever again. He said, that is irresponsible of you, to stand in front of uh, people that I give you responsibility to, to instruct and to teach, and, and to say that it's all going to pan out, because here's why. I came to find out later that there are 150 chapters in the Bible that deal with the end of this age and the next age. 150 chapters in the scripture that deal with that. And there's only 89 in the gospels. And so, for the Lord to take the pains to put 150 chapters in the Bible that relate to the end of this age and the age to come, certainly he's trying to give us a picture that we're to have understanding of it. If he's going to emphasize it that much in the scripture, he's trying to get it over to us that we should have revelation of those chapters. And so um, I want to continue, and I, am, I, am, I have been, I don't and really can't explain, I don't know that I've been in a time like this ever uh, with the Lord, but I am in a, right now, I am in a time of revelation in the word, almost unmatched in my, in my personal experience. The Bible has... It's always alive, but man, something is happening. Me personally, I have, I'll just say this, I have too many notes for this morning. I have too much to say. I won't be able to say everything I want to say. Um, I'm going to do my best, but uh, there is energy, I believe, from heaven right now on this issue of uh, raising up a generation of forerunners who will prepare the way for the Lord at the end of the age. And I'm sensing it from the Lord personally. So let's begin to do this. Let's look at the notes here. Or not the notes. Let's look at the, uh, the Bible. I'll look at my notes. You look at the Bible. <laughs> One day I'll be that organized where I can actually hand out everybody notes. But uh, Matthew 24, let's look at this. I just want to start here. We're going to travel in the, in the Scripture a little bit today, so don't, don't get weary when we, when we flip to a few verses. I, I want to touch on several this morning. Jesus speaking about what we know as the last three and a half years of this age. And he says in verse 21, For then there will be great tribulation, such has not been since the beginning of the world, until that time, or until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. He says there's a time of tribulation so great, so severe, that 
when you compare that time that he's talking about, and he's, and he's giving us the picture of it in Matthew 24, he goes, Jesus gives us one of the most complete descriptions of the Great Tribulation in Matthew 24. But uh, he says, this time of tribulation, it will be so severe, it will be the most severe time the planet has ever seen up until that time and forever. So there's a time coming where tribulation will be so intense on the planet, it will, be, uh, it will exceed every other season of tumult and tribulation the planet has ever seen. Now, in, uh, in World War II, it's about a 12-year period of time from 1933 with the, the, the rise of Adolf Hitler to 1945 when the, when the war ended, in about a 12-year period of time, 50 million people died globally. Some 12 million were uh, exterminated in, in Nazi concentration camps. And 50 million died globally in World War II. So that tells me that what Jesus is saying regarding this time of the end that will be the greatest time of tribulation, that it will be more severe than 50 million people dying. And they really, the majority of those deaths took place in about a six-year period of time, 39 to 45. The great tribulation will be, will f- be far more severe than World War II, which is the, probably the greatest time of tribulation we've ever seen up to this point. And we go in the book of Revelation and it explains to us how many people will die. And when you do the math and you look at the seals, particularly the fourth seal, and you look at the sixth trumpet, it actually gives us percentages of the planet that will actually die during this time of great tribulation. And when you put the math together, 50% of the globe will die in the great tribulation. Jesus' commentary on that is this. That unless those days were shortened, and by shortened he means confined to a short period of time. Unless the days of the great tribulation, which is still to come, it's still to come. Unless those days were confined to a very short period of time, not one person would make it out, would make it through. He says no flesh would be saved. And so, this is the, the reality of the season just before the return of the Lord. And for a long time, I simply had Jesus coming back as the central feature, central figure of a massive revival that the globe would see. And then things would maybe, you know, then we would all get out of here and then everything would get bad for a minute. And then we'd all, you know, Jesus would come back and I don't know, we'd turn into fat babies floating on clouds playing harps and wearing togas. But that is not at all what the, the Bible describes. It describes a, 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 a seven-year time where there's a, a moment of peace and safety, and then a three-and-a-half-year time of the greatest tribulation ever. In that great time of tribulation, 50% of the planet's population will die. And if that time hadn't been constrained to three-and-a-half years, the entire population of the planet would die. This is before us, beloved. This is a time in front of us. And we almost have no revelation on it. And uh, we almost never talk about it. Now, there's four unique ingredients of the Great Tribulation. If you're taking notes, you probably want to put these down. Because this is the context, the global context, of the way things are going to be set up in the generation in which the Lord returns in that last those final hours. It's going to be the most intense time of each of these four things. Firstly, there will be uh, temporal judgments uh, being released by God onto the planet. And we see them in the book of Revelation as seals, trumpets, and bowls. There's 21. There's seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. And they're, they're each in a numbered sequence. And they, the, each... Uh, 
sequence gets progressively worse. In other words, the trumpets are worse than the seals, and the bowls are worse than the trumpets. And the seals are bad in themselves. So temporal judgments are uh, pounding the planet, the highest level the planet has ever seen. Secondly, Satan is enraged against the inhabitants of the earth Revelation 12 tells us he's going to get cast out of the, third, uh, out of the uh, second heaven and into the first heaven realm. And it says, woe to you inhabitants of the earth, for the devil has come down to you knowing that his time is short. He is enraged. And so the rage of Satan against humankind will be the highest in all of human history. And he particularly targets, ready, Jews and Christians. You know, nobody told you when you answered that altar call or you prayed and you received Jesus that in a moment you're going to be targeted by Antichrist for extermination. But that's what's coming at the end of this age. He's going to target Jews and Christians. The rage of Satan through a man. He's going to use this man, Antichrist. He's going to possess this man. The rage of Satan against humankind and particularly against Christians and Jews will be the highest ever. Martyrdom will be at its highest level ever. That goes under the rage of Satan. And then thirdly, while we've got temporal judgments and the rage of Satan, we have uh, the sin of humankind will be at the highest level ever. There's several verses that describe it. Daniel 8, verse 23, it says when, it's essentially the idea is when wickedness has hit its fullness. When wickedness has hit its fullness in the earth, a man come, will come forth with sinister, sinister schemes, talking about Antichrist. And here's what happens. The Lord, he uses the judgment events to kick out the gray areas, to cause people to choose righteousness or darkness. And throughout the book of Revelation, you, you see this phrase, and they would not repent of their wicked deeds. There is a a uh, mass number at the end of the age who will, they will grip and hold on to their sinful lifestyle and they will not repent of the sin. Revelation 9, write this verse down, 21. We need to know that verse. Revelation 9, 21, it identifies four prongs of sin that are going to be the main action plan of the enemy to get people to buy into. And these are sins that people will not repent of at the end of the age, though they experience massive judgments from the Lord. Now I'll go over those in just a minute. So we have temporal judgments, we have the rage of Satan, we have sin at its highest level, and we have revival breaking on the planet in its highest level. I mean, this... You can't, I mean, you can't do a movie that's good enough that's got the drama of this deal. I mean, we've got, you know, judgments and revival and dead raisings and false prophet, you know, and antichrist and the rage of Satan and martyrs. And I mean, we've got people in sin and people choosing righteousness. We've got global revival and massive apostasy. We've got it all mixed together in one package. The last three and a half years of the sage, it's the great tribulation. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. These four features are significant. They will be at the highest level of each of them ever. And they will mix together and cause a time of crisis that the planet has never seen at the highest level ever. Now, it's, un- it's important for us to understand this, that the Great Tribulation, it is the birth canal for the birthing of the kingdom of God on the earth. In fullness. Jesus will return, but he's not going to return. There's no way to sidestep the great tribulation. In Matthew 24, Jesus said this, these things must come to pass. They must come to pass. So it is the birth canal of the birthing of the kingdom of God on the earth. The end of the age in the book of Revelation and and the prophetic scriptures that speak about the end of the age and the next age, it's not the story of how bad the devil is. It's the story of the birthing of the kingdom of God on the earth in fullness and the beauty of Jesus in perfect leadership taking authority over the planet that the Father's given him. 
This is the story of Christ. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ, not the revelation of the devil. Sometimes we get a little bit, you know, spooky thinking about Revelation. This is about Jesus and his action plan for the culmination of this age and the birthing of his kingdom. And so the, the great tribulation which is really what you're seeing in Revelation 6 through 19. Those chapters really explain what's going on in those three and a half years in real colorful detail. But that the Great Tribulation births the kingdom of God. And so we've got to get it that when Jesus returns, he's returning in context to what's happening on the earth. He's returning... Uh, to culminate the great tribulation and to birth the kingdom of God. He's returning to finalize the Christian resistance movement. Because here's what's going to happen. Lucifer, the archangel who was cast out of heaven, out of the third heaven. And we know him as Satan. That archangel, Lucifer, in Revelation 12, the Bible says he will be cast out of the second heaven and cast into the earth and all of his demons with him. That's a day in front of us. When that happens, Lucifer will possess a human, a man. And that man is Antichrist. And this Antichrist, fully human but fully possessed by Satan... He will begin to demand the worship of everyone who dwells on the earth. Now, 1 John 5, 19 says this. It says that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Beloved, there's a day coming when the sway of the wicked one is not just an influence that we feel. You know what I'm talking about? The influence of sin in the community, the sway of the enemy. The, the draw to sin, the draw to, to hide your Christianity, the sway, the influence of the wicked one. First John 5, 19, the whole world lies under the sway of the, 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 the wicked one. Well, there's a day coming when Lucifer possesses this man, and the sway won't simply be an influence we feel in society. It will be actually legislation enacted in the earth And those who decide to resist the sway, you've got to hear this, they will be targeted for execution. He's going to make unrighteousness and wickedness law. And he's going to demand men to worship him. And whoever will not, the Bible says, he will target them and execute them. There's a day coming, get this, when that sway of wickedness that you feel right now against you and against your desire to serve God, when that sway won't simply be a feeling, it will actually actually be law on the earth. And it plays out this way, that if you don't worship the beast, Antichrist, if you don't worship him, he will target those people for execution. I just, I'm just doing the math and I'm thinking about this. Compromise in the heart today equals apostasy at the end of the age. Because if I can't stand against the sway when it's an influence, I guarantee you I won't stand against the sway of the wicked one when it's legislation. Beloved, This is where we live. If you believe you're living in the generation in which the Lord returns, this is the the, uh, mentality that we've got to begin to get our hearts around, that resisting the sway of the enemy is not simply, you know, an option for us. This right now, this is great tribulation training. When I say no to, to sin, when I say no to perversion in the society, when I say no to the lust of the flesh, and I say no to the pride of life, this is great tribulation training because I'm resisting the sway unto a day when I will resist Antichrist. Now here's what's going to happen. Millions will be martyred as they resist Antichrist. And they resist Worshipping him. Millions will be martyred. 
billions, a billion or two perhaps, will get born again. It's going to be the time of the greatest trial and the time of the greatest blessing the church has ever seen. And I just want to say this, you couldn't pay me any amount of money to want to get out of that. I want to be right there, center stage, in the fray. I want to be there when, when God is breaking out with power, judgment events are hitting, and all the props are getting kicked out of the way. I'm just, you know what I'm saying? We've got so many options in the West. We can paint our Christianity any way we want. There's a day coming when all the props are going to be kicked out, and I want to be right there, center. I want to be in the middle of it. Millions will be martyred. A billion or two will get born again, led to righteousness through the witness of the church. And the church will ultimately overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb, the word of her testimony, and not loving her life unto the death. The Bible says the church will overcome the enemy. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and not living their life unto death. And when Jesus returns, he doesn't return, you know, as this sort of guy carrying a lamb. He returns as the warrior king finalizing the Christian revolutionary movement against Antichrist, and he comes and he overthrows the thrones of every nation of those who ally themselves with Antichrist. I don't know, you know, when I signed up for this Christian thing, I just didn't want to go to hell. You know, I'm in if I don't go to hell. Nobody told me I was getting involved with a king who had a kingdom, who was jealous for the nations, whose father had promised him an inheritance of the nations. No one told me I was getting involved in an end time scenario that was going to have all these ingredients. It got a lot cooler, actually, for me. You know, it just became more than, hey, I'm not going to hell. It just became like, I am involved in the cosmic struggle between good and evil, and this is real, and Jesus is coming back, and this is real. I love it. This is good stuff. Christianity thing's better than they build it. As, you know. And so because of the severity of the Great Tribulation, because of what it takes... To be able to stand in that day because of the tumult that Jesus is going to release on the earth. Because of the trial that the enemy is going to release on the earth. Because of the mixture. Right now, he's calling forth a people who will prepare the way for the return of the Lord. See, Jesus, he's coming back as a king and I talked about it last week, but what the, the Eastern kings, ancient Eastern kings would do is they would always send an envoy, in, an envoy in front of them to prepare the way for them, to roll out the red carpet, so to speak. Well, when Jesus returns to the planet, the red carpet looks like the great tribulation. It's the seals, trumpets, and the bowls. Jesus comes back with the red carpet of the, the way being prepared by judgments pounding the planet. And I'm going to go into this in a, in a later time, but... The church is not going to sit back and go, oh no, when's it coming? The church is going to be dynamically involved with the Lord in releasing those judgments on the planet. Just like Moses, and that's your template, just like Moses released the judgments of the Lord upon Egypt, Egypt was a type and shadow of Antichrist, the church at the end of the age will again partner with the Lord to release the judgments of the Lord on the planet. I promise you, beloved, this is not about the church getting out of the way of the Great Tribulation. This is about the church getting involved and leasing the Great Tribulation. Now, let's turn over to Malachi chapter 3. Nice little Thanksgiving Day message we got going. I remember one time I preached about the day of the Lord on Mother's Day. Felt good. Well, just got to do what you got to do. So he's calling forth the people to prepare the way. Malachi 3.1. And we, just, we need to chew Malachi 3. There, there are several chapters 
Let me just give you, can I give you a few chapters just to chew in your private time? Malachi 3, Zephaniah 1 through 3, Habakkuk 1 through 3, Jeremiah 22 through 25. Say them again. Malachi 3, you can add Malachi 4. Zephaniah 1 through 3, Habakkuk 1 through 3, Jeremiah 23, uh, 22 through 25. Might as well throw Isaiah 63 and Revelation 19 in there for good measure. Just, just in your private time, just read them. Just chew on them. Malachi 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now, this is talking about the day in which Jesus returns. It was a partial fulfillment when the Lord came in his first coming. But if you read the rest of the chapter of Malachi, you understand. He says, I'm coming as a refiner's fire and as a launderer's soap. That's different than how he came the first time. When he came the first time, he came as a suffering servant laying down his life for the the world. Now, this verse is quoted in reference to John the Baptist as one who, the messenger that prepared the way of the Lord's first coming, but... The unfulfilled pieces of this prophecy tell us that this is for a day yet to come and that there is another messenger coming that will prepare the way for the Lord. And when he comes, he is the messenger of the covenant. He will come as a refiner's fire and as a launderer's soap. He will purify the sons of Levi that they will offer an offering in righteousness. He's going to come and sit as a judge and he's going to release judgments on all those that are in wickedness. And that's what Malachi 3 tells us. That hasn't happened yet. If I'm going a little quick for you, just get the uh, MP3. You can just download it. Now, so the question for me becomes this. Preparing the way. My messenger who prepares the way. Now, I believe this, that the messenger is an individual and a company. I believe that the, that the Lord, when he prophesies in Malachi 4, 6, he says, I will send Elijah, the prophet. I believe there's going to be, uh, uh, the, the prophet Elijah is going to come as one of the two witnesses. I believe that's going to happen here. And then I believe this, that there's going to be a whole company that's operating in that same spirit. The spirit of Elijah. A messenger company. And I want to clarify this. Messenger company doesn't mean the preachers. Okay, Messenger company doesn't mean the people on the platform. The messenger company are the people who will hear the sound of the Lord saying, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, and prepare themselves to stand in that day and see their life will be the message. Living in a way that makes sense today unto the end of the age. Living daily, I mean, in a way that makes sense daily in view of the last three and a half years. That is a messenger life. And so you, you automatically have conversations with people. And the, the deal is this. We're going to really have to start explaining to people, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going after the American dream. I believe that's the sway of the wicked one. And what I'm doing is I'm preparing myself to stand at the end of the age. Now, that's why I'm doing the fasting and the prayer. That's why I'm seeking the Lord with abandonment because I'm preparing myself. And that will put you in the messenger company. That group will be the messenger. So, he goes, I send my messenger and he'll prepare the way before me. So then the question becomes this. What does the forerunner messenger, the one that goes before the Lord, what is he even commissioned to do? What does that one prepare? What, What is the way that that messenger prepares? You know, we we love cliches, but we almost, we have no concept of what they mean. I remember for years we used to sing this song in the church that said, we're going up to Zion to a higher place. Going up to Zion, we're going to seek his face. And I remember not even knowing where Zion was. And I sang that song, going up to Zion. And I just sing it, yeah, we're doing that. I had no idea where it was. We, hear, we have all these little cliches. We don't even know what it means. We go, prepare the way. Well, what does that even mean? What does prepare the way even mean? So I've broken it down into, into three broad categories. This is about as broad as I can get because there's so many little things under each category. But number one, preparing means that you prepare your own heart to be able to stand in the time of the most dramatic shaking and crisis the planet will ever experience. 
Because if you're going to prepare anything, you have to be prepared personally. Isn't that right? So you prepare your own heart to be able to stand. You prepare to be able to operate in signs, wonders, and miracles. That's number two. Prophetic proclamation with power, signs, wonders, and miracles. That's not just for the guys that are in the pulpit. That's for every whosoever will at the end of the age. It's, a, it's an outpouring of the Spirit upon all flesh, the sons and the daughters, the men servants and the maidservants, everyone, the old, the young, they will all be moving in prophetic power at the end of the age. So there's a preparing of the heart to stand. There's a preparing to move in power, signs, and wonders, and miracles. And then thirdly, there is a calling others to prepare for the time in which the Lord returns. Calling them to prepare beforehand and calling them in that hour to prepare. He's coming. He's coming. So today I want to zero in on the first one. I want to zero in on preparing our own hearts to stand. Preparing our own hearts to stand. Verse 2 of Malachi 3, it says this. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? He's like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. Oh, I feel fire on that. Who can endure the day of his coming? Thinking about Amos prophesying to the nation of Israel, who had basically begun, they, the northern kingdom, they'd all been worshiping demons, calling it Jehovah, and he goes, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. He goes, it's a day of darkness and not light. Because you don't know what you've gotten into with this, saying you want the Lord to come. And Malachi is echoing those realities now to the southern kingdom, and he's saying, who can endure it when he comes? Who will stand when he comes? He's coming like fire. He's not coming, beloved, as this sweet man carrying a lamb. He's not coming to initiate revival meetings. He's coming as the judge of the nations in flaming fire. Hebrews 10 tells us, with the fury of a fire that will devour the adversaries. 2 Thessalonians 1, it says that he's going to come to take vengeance. I mean, there's so many verses. He's coming with a fury of a fire that will devour the adversaries. Who can stand in the day of his coming? And that's Malachi's, I mean, that question is a piercing question. Here's, here's why. Here's why this is such a big deal. Oh, I'm jumping ahead of myself. This is just, it's just such a big issue. Here's why. 2 Thessalonians 2. In 2 Thessalonians 2, and I'll just I'll explain it to you, and you can go back and check it later. And check my references. Don't take anything I'm saying face value. Check all my stuff, and if, if it, you think it's off, you just email me, and we'll, we'll talk about it. But 2 Thessalonians 2. The Thessalonian church, they're concerned that the day of the Lord has already come. They're concerned that something has already happened. Paul's previous letter to them, it set them on alert, and they begin to misunderstand some of the stuff he was saying. So in 2 Thessalonians 2, he's rehashing and re-explaining. He goes, I don't want you to be afraid. He goes, I don't want you to think that the day of the Lord has already happened. I don't want any kind of a letter that I even sent you to, to throw you off. He says this, a couple things have to happen before the day of the Lord comes. Number one, the great Falling away. The apostasy. The Greek word there for falling away, it's apostasia. Don't let anybody tell you that it's not a departure from the faith. That's what it is. A departure from the faith. And here's my point. Who can stand? The time of trial and tumult will be so intense that this, one of signs of the day of the Lord will be massive falling away from the faith. And that, the number of falling away, the number that will be falling away will be so intense, so acute, that number will be so large, we'll be able to see this is a sign of the nearness of his return. Now think about that. Beloved, 
This is not people that just sort of, you know, use the label Christian but go live loose and do whatever. These are people that are born again or else there is no falling away from the faith. If they, if they were never in the faith, then they can't fall away from it. So these people have to be in the faith and then fall away. And that number that will fall away will be so large, it's a sign of the nearness of the Lord's return. We have no idea how this thing is going to shift and shake and turn around. There's a billion out there that aren't in that are going to be in. There's a bunch in that are going to be out. I mean, I'm telling you, the power bases, the spiritual power bases are a shift up and down. We're not going to know what day it is. I'm telling you, it's going to be so intense. We will know what day it is, but I'm just saying, it's going to be so wild. Things are going to move up and down, and people are going to go in and out. Malachi's question, man, who can stand? Who can stand? Now turn with me to Jeremiah 23. Because I believe Jeremiah 23 gives us insight into this question. And there is so much on Jeremiah 23 that I cannot go into. There is a series of messages out of Jeremiah 23 that I wish I could preach. But let me just set it up. I'll just try to set up the context for you. Jeremiah 23, he's prophesying to Judah and Jerusalem. He's saying this. He goes, guys, the Lord is going to come for judgment. He's prophesying three years before Babylon is about to destroy the entire place, destroy the temple, destroy every person, and take them all captive. They're just about to lay siege. They're just getting ready to lay siege. And in that siege, the the times got so horrifying. Jeremiah explains it to us in in Lamentations. He tells us that even mothers were eating their children in, in Israel, in Jerusalem. That's real. What's stunning is Moses actually prophesied that to them as part of the curse if they didn't follow the Lord. He said, even the most tender women will eat their children. And that's what was happening in Israel, in Jerusalem, right before Babylon carries them away to captivity. So Jeremiah is going, guys, it is going to be so bad. It's close and it's going to be bad. He's coming to the end of 25 years of prophesying judgment. And instead of there being a company of prophets all in line with what Jeremiah is saying, what all the prophets, he's out there by himself, all the quote-unquote prophets, you know what they're all saying? Peace. Safety. Things are going to be good for us. In Jeremiah 23, he takes up this woe against the shepherds who are, you know, they're, they're, They're misleading the people and they're leading them into destruction because they won't proclaim the word of the Lord. And the the issue of Jeremiah 23 is this. They won't proclaim the word of the Lord because they don't have a vision of the God that brings judgment. And, And the question over Jeremiah 23 is this. Who will partner with the judge? And here's Jeremiah. He's partnering with God the judge, proclaiming the word of the Lord in the judgment events. And all the other prophets are standing there and saying, Peace. And safety. In three years, Jerusalem is going to be wiped off the map. And all those prophets are saying peace. And so we pick it up in verse 18. He goes, they're all saying peace. And then he goes, but who, verse 18, who has stood in the council of the Lord? And who has perceived and heard his word? Who has marked his word and heard it? Verse 19. Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury. A violent whirlwind. It will fall violently on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and performed the thoughts of his heart. Look at this crazy phrase. It's just like the Lord sets it right in there for the last days. In the latter days, you will understand it perfectly. In the latter days, you will understand that standing in the counsel of the Lord is the issue. 
to enable people to stand in the day when he comes. It's like Jeremiah is giving us the hint before Malachi ever prophesies it. Who can stand? Whoever stands in the counsel of the Lord. And he goes on to say down in verse 22, if they would have stood in the counsel of the Lord, they would have turned the people away from wickedness. But instead they prophesied a a prophecy of their own heart. They didn't hear the word of the Lord. And they prophesied good, you know, sweet things to itching ears. And he goes on and the Lord says this. He goes, my word when it goes forth, it's like a hammer and it's like a fire. But those who will not stand in the council, the idea is this. Those who will not stand in the council of the Lord, when they release the word of the Lord, it's like a nice tickle. And like a little warmth. To make you feel good. See, the word doesn't come forth like a hammer and like a fire unless you stand in the counsel of the Lord. Unless you get before the Lord, you mark, you listen, you hear, you perceive his words, you get the word of the Lord in you, then when you proclaim it, it hits like a hammer. And it burns like a fire. Who has stood in the counsel of the Lord, I guarantee you the issue is this. If you'll stand in the counsel of the Lord, you will be able to stand in the day when he comes. Standing in the counsel of the Lord has everything to do with doing the mundane day in and day out. Opening the scriptures. Fasting. Praying. Seeking God, worshiping. Standing in the counsel of the Lord is simply drawing near to God. Doing the daily mundane thing until light breaks in. Until revelation breaks in. Until the heart begins to respond to the light of the word. Because here's the deal. If you'll stand in the counsel of the Lord, you'll perceive And then you'll mark his word. And when you mark his word, it'll mark you. And when the word of God marks you, you get the prophetic vision for what God's doing in the earth. You know what happens when the word marks you? You change how you live. You change the way you spend your time. You change the way you spend your money. You change the way you raise your family. You change the way you get entertainment. You change what you do when the word marks you because you stood in the counsel of the Lord and you perceive what he's doing in the hour that you live in the earth. What if those people, what if they'd stood in the counsel of the Lord? They were three years out from total destruction, but had they stood in the counsel of the Lord for 25 years like Jeremiah, they would have been able to perceive what was happening. Instead, they became dull. And Jeremiah said, he goes, oh, my people, they're all like silly children. Their ears are uncircumcised. They have no delight in the word of the Lord. He goes, I can't even proclaim the word of the Lord because they will not hear it. Oh, beloved. When I look through this, it causes me to tremble. Jeremiah says in verse 9, he says, My heart within me, it's broken because of the prophets. It's broken because of the prophets. He goes, My bones are shaking. I'm like a drunken man. He goes, Here's why the land's full of adultery. He goes on, he goes, Both prophet and priest are profane. Even in the house of the Lord, there's been wickedness. And he goes on, he says this. For from, from the prophets, profaneness has gone out into all the land. He goes, don't listen to the voice of the prophets because they make you worthless in verse 16. They make my people worthless. He's talking about the ones that are prophesying priests of peace who have not stood in the counsel of the Lord. They haven't heard the word of the Lord. He goes, they're making my people worthless. It's the salt that loses its savor. I tell you, this is, it's gripping me. As they continually say to those who despise me, you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you. He goes, but if they'd stood in the council. Now here's how it goes. Right now, we experience the sway of the world system. And that sway of the world system, that's, that's the Antichrist spirit. It's the sway of the wicked one. And there's, we, we throw this term around, but we don't really have any clarity on it all, hardly at all. 
We use this, this term, the Babylonian system or the Babylonian harlot system. But in Revelation 9.21, that's the verse I gave you a few minutes ago. In Revelation 9.21, it describes to us what the Babylonian harlot system, the foundational sins of that is. And here's what I want to explain to you. And, I, and I'm just going to give it to you quick. The Babylonian harlot system will be a global, full-on global system, totally embraced by society. And right now, you see it. You see it in the, the widespread acceptance of homosexuality, the widespread acceptance of uh, religious pluralism. You see it in the widespread love of money over everything else. And, and you see it in the widespread hatred of those that, uh, especially we see it in racial I- issues, but hatred and murder uh, that we see uh, um, uh, from nation against nation. Revelation 9.21, it tells us that those four things are the sins that people will not repent of at the end of the age. They won't repent of sexual immorality. They won't repent of their idolatry, their false, their false religions. They won't repent of their thievery, which is the love of money, which is the root of all sorts of evil. Thievery, people go, oh, you know, they just kind of pickpocket. No, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. It is the motivator. Think about it. Loving money is the motivator that, that has caused so much wickedness in the earth. Sexual morality, false religions, thievery, oh, murder. And murder is hatred. Those four pillars give us the Babylonian system at the end of the age. And here's the thing. Standing without offense, standing in the counsel of the Lord and standing without offense, it has to do with this. Rejecting those areas in our lives. We stand in the counsel of the Lord, we hear the word of the Lord, We comprehend the the plan of the enemy in the earth, and then we reject those areas of sin in every way in our life. That immoral, love of money, hatred, pluralistic mentality, that is the Babylonian system in the earth. Now, flip over with me to Philippians chapter 1. Because... We have to stand in his counsel so we can stand before him. And and standing before him, it equals this. It equals this. Two things. Standing without offense. In other words, that we don't offend the Lord. And standing unoffended by the Lord. Standing in that day equals this. Standing without offense to the Lord. And standing unoffended by the Lord. Philippians 1, verse 9. This I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense, what? Till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruit of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Standing without offense has everything to do with resisting the sway of the wicked one in this, in this world. And resisting the sway, I'm telling you, it's those four pillar sins out of Revelation 9.21. Thievery, which is the love of money. False religion or idol worship. Sexual immorality and murder. I thought about Psalm 24, one of my favorite verses. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? And who can stand in his holy place? Who can stand in his counsel? He who's clean hands and a pure heart, who's not sworn deceitfully or lifted up his soul to an idol. You know what I realize? One of the great challenges for us is going to be the Jeremiah 23 challenge. Who will not make idol in the name of God and call God uh, and have a mentality about God that's not, that, that's not accurate of him and call God something that he's not. In other words, like this. Who will find out who God is, fall in love with God, and, and make no excuses for who God is? That's, see, so many of us, we walk around with an idol in our own heart. We lift up our soul to an idol because we make God in our own image. We make God in our own likeness. We make God the way we want God to be, rather than the way He is. Can I tell you something? 
now this is hard. I'm just going to say this for a shock, but the New Testament God, he kills people. He kills people. He killed, he killed Ananias and Sapphira in Acts. He killed Herod. Worms ate the man after he proclaimed himself as God. God kills people. 1 Samuel 2 says, he makes alive and he puts to death. God killed Saul. Now we can either look at what the Bible says about him, or we can make a God in our own image. Now he, puts, he, he raises people from the dead, but he puts to death also. And we can either make a God in our own image, or we can look at what the Bible says about him and let that stand over us. And so the, the issue of Jeremiah 23 becomes this. Who will partner with the judge who's going to release judgments on the earth in which people will die? Who will partner with that God? And, and my, my question for us is this. Have we had an idol in our own heart and said God is something that he's not? And we're worshiping a God that's not even true to really who he really is. See, these are piercing things because the, the issue is this. Who can stand? Well, whoever stood in his council. When you stand in the council of the Lord, you find out who the Lord is. Here's the deal. Ephesians 6, our great spiritual warfare. Verse. I'll just read it. It says, take up the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand when? In the evil day. The NIV says, so that when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand. He's talking about the end of the age. You know what he's talking about there? There's the, you know, the breastplate of righteousness, the loin belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, the feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace, taking up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and praying always. He goes, these are hard standards that believers need to live day in and day out. They need to resist the sway of the world, the sway of the enemy, they need to live these hard standards. Why? Because there's a day coming that they'll need to stand. Having done all to stand, stand. I, I promise you, we can't dabble into Babylon just a little bit and expect ourselves to be able to stand in a day that's in front of us. We can't have a false mentality of God in our minds and think we're going to stand when he comes as a refiner's fire. We've got to get a right mentality of God. Understand that he is coming as the king of the nations. He's coming as a, a judge, warrior, king. And then in that day when he comes, our hearts will be clean. We'll be able to be without offense before him. We'll be able to stand in that day. Unoffending him, not offending him, but also unoffended by him. This is where I want to land it. I want to, I want to not be offended by Jesus. Because I was looking at it and I realized this. In Matthew 26, when Jesus was crucified, they were all offended by that. His disciples, his closest guys were all offended. He said it a couple times. He says in Matthew eleven six, he goes, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. In Matthew 24, 9 and 10, he says, one of the things that's going to happen at the end of the age is many will be offended. They will hate each other. They'll deliver people to death because they're offended. Offended with what? The way God is doing things at the end of the age. Blessed is he who's not offended because of me. You know, it started going into my mind, and I started thinking about this. If the disciples were offended with Jesus on the cross dying for the world and shedding his blood for the nations... If they were offended with that, what will, let's just use Western Christianity Church in America, what will be our response when Jesus returns as the king of the nations, slaying the nations, slaying people, shedding their blood? What will be the response of the heart then? You know, I remember when it dawned on me, I remember reading Revelation 17 and Revelation 19, and I remember the day it dawned on me. It says, the kings of the earth, they gather together to make war against the Lamb. To make war against the Lamb. 
And I realized, I go, that's not them making war against the church. They're making war against Jesus. And I remember it dawned on me, well, if they're going to gather together to make war against Jesus, that means Jesus has to be on the planet for them to think it makes sense to gather together to make war against him. I looked at him and he's got to be on the planet. And I realized there's a military campaign going on that we've got almost no revelation of. Jesus is coming. The Isaiah 63 God. He's going to be covered in blood of people that he's going to trample. I, I think this. I think because we have almost no concept of who he is as the warrior king, we are in danger of not being able to stand in agreement with him in that day. Zephaniah 3 talks about how he rejoices over us with singing. I love that verse. He, he smiles and rejoices and sings over us. But in Zephaniah 3, in verse 8, he says, I have determined to gather the nations to my assembly of nations to pour my wrath on them. In the same breath, he says, I'm the one that rejoices and I sing over people and I smile over them and I dance. And he goes, and I've also determined to slay the nations. Both are true of him. Both are reality. And both are without contradiction. It's who he is. You know, we've made Jesus into a pop icon. We've tried to make Jesus cool. We've, we've tried to... Uh, Apologize for Jesus. Well, that's you know that you know it's not really like that, man. We try to we try to you know tone down the message and, and make it not so intense. Jesus was never like that. He goes, drink my fl- uh, drink my blood, eat my flesh. That's how you got to get in. And he looks at his closest guys. He goes, does that offend you guys? Are you gonna leave too? He was never concerned about his persona. He preached truth. He was, his nature is to preach truth in love and let the chips fall where they may. You know what we've got to do, beloved? We've got to get this. We've got to do this. We've got to get to the place where we love the Jesus of Zephaniah 3.17 who rejoices and we love the Jesus who is determined to come and slay the nations and end the greatest time of crisis the world has ever seen. We've got to love him both equally with fervency in our heart. We've got to love that Jesus. And you know what we've got to do? Quit worrying about what everybody thinks if we love that Jesus. We've got to love that Jesus. We've got to love the Jesus of the Scripture and not one that we've made in our own mind. He's not going to come as a rock star that the unsanctified masses are going to just think is awesome. But I tell you, there is one who will come as a, like a rock star who the unsaved masses will flock to. Antichrist. What are we doing? We're trying to make Jesus into this figure that everybody's going to love. A billion or maybe two will get born again. But many will reject him. They'll be a fit by him. I know I'm just kind of... This stuff is burning in me. I want to be a Malachi 3-1 messenger company prepared to stand. I want to be unoffended to unoffending to him. I don't want to offend him with my heart. And I want to be able to look at him and partner with him. I want to love him. I want to love Jesus, the real Jesus, not the Jesus of my mind. Go ahead and stand. (sighs) Jesus, you are no pop icon. You're the king of the nations, the uncreated God. I want to love you well.
I want to see you as you are and love you well, Jesus. I don't want to have an idol of my own heart, an image of God that I've created in my own mind that's not true of who you are. I want to be one that stands in the counsels of the Lord. I want to mark and perceive your word so we can prepare the way. Preparing the way of the Lord. Lord, grip us with reality, grip us with truth. I want to fall in love with the Isaiah 63 Jesus. Who is this? Garment stained red, coming up from Basra, striding in the greatness of his strength. Who is this? He said, It's I, the mighty to save. Are your garments red? He said, I've tread the nations. In my anger, I tread the peoples and no one was with me. We want to fall in love with you, Jesus, the coming King. We don't want to make a name. Call it Jesus. Make an idol. Call it Jesus. It's not real. Who can stand? Can stand in his holy place. He's not sworn to see from He's not lifted up his soul to an idol.